Hi, this is Nils Davis, and you're listening to episode 63 of the All the Responsibility podcast for product managers and other product people. I have been sheltering at home now for five weeks here in Northern California, and it's a bit surreal, as I'm sure it is for you, wherever you are. The good news for me is that I can do my job as well from home, really, as I do from the office. So that hasn't been a big disruption. I know that many people have been much more negatively impacted by the shutdown and the quarantine than I have, and I'm one of the truly lucky ones in that way. You know, I think of those who've been directly impacted by the disease and those who've lost their livelihoods and, of course, the gallant and brave medical workers. And as you know, I'm not just being hyperbolic when I use those adjectives. And I think of those folks who are working around the clock to treat the disease victims and our hearts and gratitude go out to them. You know, I'm lucky and I appreciate that. I do think about what I can do to help those in need or duress or want during this time. And obviously, I can give money and support, and I hope all of us who are able to do that are doing it. But I also have some particular skills as well, and I hope to help others with my skills. And I wanted to mention two things along those lines before we get into the show. Well, first of all, there's the P24 event. P stands for product. P24 is a multilateral, multinational live event dedicated to raising support for healthcare workers globally in the form of 48 one-half-hour sessions from product, tech, design, thought leaders as a 24-hour nonstop live stream. It's organized and will be hosted for the entire 24 hours by Jay Stansel, who is the founder of ProductCoalition.com. And while the event itself is free, attendees and presenters like myself are encouraged to contribute support globally for the healthcare workers on the front line who are putting in double and triple shifts in order to save as many lives as possible. Now, this event starts on Thursday, April 23rd at 9 a.m. London time, which is 1 a.m. Pacific time. It runs through Friday, April 24th at 9 a.m., so 24 hours. So to put that in my terms, again, that specific time or Silicon Valley time starts at 1 a.m. on Thursday, runs through Friday at 1 a.m. There's a lot of well-known product management folks on the schedule, including Rich Marinoff at 3 p.m. Pacific time, Robin Zaragoza at 7.30 a.m. Pacific time, and I'm at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time on Thursday. So for more information, the link is at p24event.com. You can sign up to attend to get the reminder and the link to the live stream. And that page leads you to links to the specific charities you can support while listening. All the links and things that I mentioned during that episode will, of course, be on the podcast show page as well, which is at alltheresponsibility.com slash 63. And you can get the link to the p24event.com and all the other links that I talk about. So I wanted to mention another thing that I have coming up, which is in this category of things that I hopefully can provide some help with to folks who are being challenged by this situation. I know for some of you, the period after the quarantine will be pretty challenging, trying to find a job in the inevitable recession. And of course, even those of you who are lucky to have jobs that continue on during the lockdown, like me, might still be interested in moving on in your career at some point. So the good news is that you can apply your product management instincts and skills to finding a job. You're the product in this case. Of course, the big challenge is that competition for these jobs, for product management jobs in the world, is really stiff. And so that makes it a really tough sales engagement, so to speak. So you have to know how to best accentuate your differentiators and how to effectively reduce the hiring manager's perception of risk of hiring you. You know, all the tools of taking your product to market are at play when you're taking yourself to market. So I'll be giving a free masterclass on how to present your best self in interviews and on your resume next week on April 30th. 
So please take yourself to alltheresponsibility.com slash masterclass to sign up for the masterclass. And if you sign up but can't make it live, I'll make sure you get the replay. Now, in case you missed any of those links, as I said, you can always go to the show page for this episode, which is at alltheresponsibility.com slash 63, where all the links will be right there for the clicking. Next week's podcast episode will cover some related topics, and I'll be sharing a cheat sheet for telling the stories of your own accomplishments. So definitely stay tuned for all that next week. And be sure to sign up for the masterclass at alltheresponsibility.com slash masterclass, which will tie into all of that. Now, the rest of this episode is in the form of three little acts, as they'd be called on This American Life. Of course, it's kind of pretentious for me to call out This American Life, one of the great podcasts and radio shows of all time. But somebody suggested that I do some little pieces in the podcast, not just long pieces, as I've often done. So these are three thoughts that kind of on their own probably aren't big enough for a whole episode. But combined together, they'll fill it out sort of unrelated to each other, but there is a little bit of a through line, as you'll see. And, of course, they're all related to product management, or I tie them all to product management, of course. Fire. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition. Act one, range. Why generalists triumph in a specialized world. Well, this is a great new book. It's not that new. It came out in 2019 by David Epstein, who is a fairly well-known journalist. He wrote another great book called The Sports Gene. And I heard him on the Science of Success podcast, and it was a great interview. And I was really inspired by what he talked about in that interview. I was really kind of amazed. He talked about things like Fermi estimates, which was the topic of my episode number 318. And then he talked about how powerful metaphors are for unlocking innovation, which was my episode number 331, and how outsiders are often fundamental to innovation due to their natural inability to think inside the box, at least as long as they're outsiders. And I talked about that in episode number 329 called Product Managers Are Unicorns. So I thought, well, this is really aligned with the things that I think about. And he's a very good speaker, and the interview, as I said, was really good. So I got the book, and I read it immediately. I couldn't put it down. And to be honest, For that time period when I was reading the book, I told nearly everybody that I talked to over that course of a couple weeks about the book and about the podcast episode, the Science of Success podcast interview with David Epstein. So fundamentally, the book is about how having all kinds of inputs and not just straightforward procedures is the route to high success in innovation, especially for what are called wicked problems. Wicked problems, it's a term by researcher Robin Hogarth contrast with what you can think of as kind problems, which happen in some domains. If you think about the 10,000-hour rule that Malcolm Gladwell made famous in his book Outliers, he talked about how in studying, when studying a lot of high performers, researchers kind of found that 10,000 hours of what they call deliberate practice were one of the keys to becoming excellent in the field. And there's a lot of domains that are like that, things like a lot of sports, some kinds of music, chess, 10,000 hours of deliberate practice really can lead you to the top. But these are what Hogarth calls kind domains, and it contrasts with what are called wicked problems. In wicked problems, which is like inventing a working light bulb, or nearly any situation involving human behavior and or patterns that do not repeat, practice emphatically does not make perfect. In fact, a lot of practice can make you worse. And that's why you want your product managers to be unicorns in the sense that they have unique insights, backgrounds, training, and perspective, 
And that was really the key that David Epstein found to really come up with good innovations. You need to have lots of different inputs coming in. Innovation really declines when everybody on the team, for example, knows the same set of things, whereas innovation really explodes when all the people on the team have different backgrounds and can bring different kinds of information to bear. It's not that surprising when you think about it, but it's interesting to hear how much research has gone into it. And it's why you need a variety of mental models to bring to bear on problems you face every day as a product manager. And in fact, I have an episode on mental models as well, which I'll link to in the show notes. That was just a little note on this great book called Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World by David Epstein. I recommend checking it out. I'll put a link to the book in the show notes. Now for Act 2, we're going to talk about one of the best tools for innovation, and I already mentioned it, and that's metaphors. I've talked about metaphors before, and in fact, I have a podcast episode about restaurants and how the dining experience is a great metaphor and even a benchmark for your product's user experience. But I've kind of realized something recently, which is not only are restaurants great metaphors, but of course, they're products as well. This is a little bit of a sad topic to talk about during this lockdown because we can't go to our favorite restaurants at the moment, and unfortunately, some of them aren't going to survive. But thinking about the product aspect of restaurants, I think is kind of interesting. You know, they're a great living laboratory for the concepts behind what I talk about in the Secret Product Manager Framework, which is in my book, and you've probably heard me talk about on the podcast before. You know, the Secret Product Manager Framework is find market problems, create solutions to those problems, and take the solutions to market. So you think about, well, what problem does a restaurant solve? Well, there's an obvious really big problem that it solves, which we all face three or more times a day, which is I'm hungry. But different restaurants also solve different related problems. For example, maybe I want to have a nice dinner out with my spouse for some special occasion. Or maybe I'm in a hurry and need to get some food fast. Another problem I might look to a restaurant to solve is I would love to go out and watch the game and have some wings with a bunch of cheering fans all around me. Or I might have a craving for some Asian food and then I have to decide between whether I want to go to a Chinese restaurant or a Japanese restaurant or a Thai restaurant or a Korean restaurant. So those are all different types of problems that restaurants solve. And every restaurant in your neighborhood is in competition with every other restaurant, but they also have all these differentiators along all of these dimensions. The ambiance, you know, you might choose to go out with your spouse for a nice dinner to a quiet restaurant, and you might choose to go get wings at a loud restaurant. And that's going to be some of the ambiance aspect. Obviously, the type of food is a differentiator. The quality of the food, which is probably going to go along with the price. The speed of the restaurant, the level of service, all of these things are differentiators. The reason to think about this, as we build our high-tech products that sell for a lot more than a nice meal out at a restaurant, or that sell for the price of a Big Gulp at the 7-Eleven, is that we too are in this competitive race with our competitors differentiating along a lot of different dimensions. So you have to understand what those are and what you're going to do about them, just like a restaurant does. But the flip side of that is, think about it. In normal times, not at the moment, but in normal times, there's dozens of restaurants probably within a few blocks of your house if you live in town, or you can at least think of a place where there's a bunch of different restaurants, and they all are surviving. Now, some restaurants do go out of business, but generally speaking, there's always a lot of restaurants out there. And why is that? It's because there's lots of different desires at any given time for food. And, of course, everybody does have to eat. They could all eat at home. They choose not to because restaurants are really appealing. And I think that's a good thing to think about in terms of your product as well. There might not be a whole 
block that is only Thai restaurants in your in your town, right? That's kind of unusual. Usually there's a mix. Just like there's probably going to be a mix of different types of products that your customers, for example, buy. But they may only be looking at a certain subset of those in competition with you when they're looking to buy your product, right? So you don't have to worry about the fact that there's lots of other software products. You don't have to worry that much. You have to worry mostly about the equivalent of, well, my customer wants some Thai food tonight. How am I going to show that my Thai food is the best? The equivalent of that for your product, right? You can sort of think of it that way. And again, there's lots of different ways you can compete on this. I just think it's a useful metaphor to think about the fact that there are all, are all these different restaurants. They all continue to be successful at any given time. And products are kind of like that. There's lots of different products. They can all be successful, usually not really at the expense of others, except those that directly compete with them. And it's something to think about. Again, another example of the restaurant metaphor, I think giving us some things to think about as product managers. Now, act three of today's show is really about another type of metaphor, and this is the bad metaphors, at least the metaphors that are not good for product management, even if they sometimes are used for that. So I have a podcast episode on some other bad metaphors, again, a link in the show notes, but I realized that there's a bad metaphor I didn't mention in that episode, and I thought it would be good to think about it. You know, in the episode, I talked about why the factory metaphor is so misleading and not really useful for us actually creating high-tech products, even though people are always talking about software factories and assembly lines and reproducibility and stuff like that. Factories are great, and I love them, but they are not a model for what I and other software product managers in particular do because factories are all about building the same thing over and over again really efficiently, whereas what I do is I create new things every day and my team creates new things every day that have never been created before. Even if we may know some things about how to create them, there's always some aspect of something that hasn't been created before. And so it's very unlike a factory, and the metaphor really breaks down fast when you start to think about it. But there's another metaphor, and it's almost a kind of a cliche metaphor, in the world of motivation and success. And that's the metaphor of the mountain and how reaching our goals is like climbing a mountain. You know, this is a universal metaphor Everyone understands it, and it's intuitively very pleasing, this idea of I'm going to hike up that mountain or I'm going to climb it, and I know how to get past all the obstacles, and I'm going to use my climbing tools, and I just keep going, and I'll eventually get there. You know, mountains are great, and they actually make a good metaphor if you know where you're going. You get to the top of the mountain, and you're there, right? That makes tons of sense. The problem with the mountain metaphor in product management is that, especially in the market discovery phase of product management, we don't really know where we're going. It really breaks down. We don't know which direction the peak of the mountain is. You know, first of all, the top of the mountain is completely covered with clouds. If you're a product manager doing market discovery, you don't even know if necessarily there's a mountain there or if there's hundreds of peaks or which direction to go to reach the top or whether as you go up, you're really going up a false max, a false toward a false maximum and there's really another peak somewhere else. The worst problem is that there's not just one mountain, there's tons of mountains. It's kind of like that wonderful landscape in that Chinese National Forest Park. I don't quite know how to say the name, I'm just going to attempt it, the Zhangjiaj National Forest Park region of China, where the valley floor is filled with hundreds of tall, flat-topped rock spires that reach hundreds of feet into the air. I'll put a picture of some of these spires in the show notes. They're super amazing, but they're really much more like what we deal with in when we're doing market discovery as product managers. At the top of one of those metaphorical spires, and there's hundreds of them, is a market problem we're solving. But there's fog, of course, so we can't see to the top of the spires. We don't know how high they are. 
and we can't see the problems on top. But the only th way we can find out what's going on is we have to ask questions of the people who live at the tops of the spires, and we're going to be shouting back and forth, and the metaphor is getting a little stretched at this point, and we have to listen to their answers as they echo down. We might not be able to understand them fully, and they might not be able to understand our questions fully, but we have to figure out an assessment of each of the spire's problems based on our ability to interpret those answers. You know, and that's just like real market discovery. You won't find in real market discovery a single prospect out in the market who's going to tell you everything you need to know to create a new amazing product. You have to talk to dozens of prospects to get a good sense of what the true problem is and if they pay for a solution and what's wrong with the other things they've tried. And you're going to have to wade through a lot of misunderstandings and unclear communication and collating of lots of different bits of feedback that you get in order to find that spire, that rock spire, that really has that world-changing problem at the top that's going to enable you to create a really successful product. That was the three acts for this episode. And there really was kind of a through line there, which is metaphors. Metaphors are one of the key components of range. And of course, the other two acts were all about metaphors. And that was one of the things, as I say, that really excited me about range, the importance of metaphors for innovation. I want to remind you again of the P24, the Product 24 event starting on Thursday, April 23rd, which is tomorrow if you're listening to this podcast on the day it drops. You know, you might have missed it already, sadly, but if you are listening to this on the Wednesday or Thursday, the day it drops the next day, you should try to tune in. My session is at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time on Thursday, and I'll be talking about, you won't be surprised to hear this, storytelling, as I often talk about on this podcast. And if you're looking for a job now, or you want to improve your interviewing, or you want to get better at telling the stories of your own accomplishments, sign up for my masterclass coming up on April 30th. There's going to be a lot of info and techniques you can apply right away. That is at alltheresponsibility.com slash masterclass. So let me know if you like this ACTS structure of little topics. If it's popular, I'll try to do more of it. And if you have particular topics you'd like to hear more about, whether they're big or small, definitely let me know either by leaving a comment on the show notes page or dropping me an email at nils at nilsdavis.com. You can also find me at Twitter. I'm Nils Davis on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Nils Davis on LinkedIn. That's going to be it for now. Let's all stay safe and as virus-free as possible out there. And until next time, this is Nels Davis. Bye-bye. Ignition.